All right, welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. This is episode number 11. We've got my man Trunk Fan here, repping Canada Day. And we got Jack Butcher in the place as well. So, Trung, let's go straight to you, man. You've been, we're, first of all, if you see the video right now, it's dark on my side, or you see it's thunder and lightning during this, in, during this conversation, and I'm like getting shook, it's because we're recording at a different time than normal, and it was because Trung forgot it was Canada Day. So, what was going on here, man? You've been, all right, you've so, been going all day, getting, getting well, crazy. There's a couple of threads I want to pull on here. So, today's Canada Day, it's July 1st which is, it's like a huge running joke, right? July 4th is obviously American Independence Day. But Canada, we obviously have this like little brother syndrome. So we try to front run US holidays. So so Canada Day is on July 1st, three days before Independence Day. And then our Thanksgiving is six weeks before American Thanksgiving. Um, I have getting no a idea. real head start. Yeah. And listen, I'm going to give a mini history lesson. It'll be 30 seconds because nobody's going to, everybody's going to be like, what the hell is Canada Day? Everybody's, nobody's going to understand what Canada is. So on July 1st, 1867, the uh, British colonies uh, of Canada, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick joined into a dominion. And this started the process that took over 100 years where we became fully our own country. We're still part of the Commonwealth, but uh, that's how it kicked off. Canada has the most boring history ever. It's not you the see most Jack, boring. Jack just not... smirk there. I saw that Jack yeah. English smirk coming through. You know what we should do? We should have a funny podcast, one. isn't it? Yeah, the Commonwealth. <laughs> <laughs> we should laugh about how you guys basically, we've just been riding the teeth of the British for hundreds of years. Well, and then in 1982, you guys just like let us, like pushed us away on the raft. It's like, you know what I mean? You're just like, you got, you're ready to be on your I own. I want to call out that, dude, your level of history knowledge is ridiculous. Like, you just like, oh, in 1982, this happened. It's incredible. Like, Bro, the knowledge, yeah, I can, I can drop some. major. But, also, uh, I must call out, by the way, I was also not British back then. I mean, I'm British, but I was like Indian back then when you guys were dealing Indian, with British bro. too. So, I oh, mean, yeah, 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 back yeah. then we were Indian. So. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's not start again. But <laughs> so okay. Canada days. Uh, what you you were out with your kids or what? Yeah, today, I went mate? to the zoo with my family. Uh, the zoo. I uh, don't really have much to say other than uh, during COVID, obviously they weren't really open, so they they took it to the next level. They upgraded the S out of it. So I'm still Trump Fiat fan. Still not allowed to swear here. If I swear, it goes in a fine jar, and then I have to buy uh, American dollars or some type of Fiat with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so no swearing. By the way, we we should we have to give a shout out to the person who made fiatfan.com. Oh yeah. That, that was, was incredible. incredible. So that was uh, one of the uh, I mean, you know you're onto something when people start buying uh domain names, right? So like res- full respect to uh, sorry, I didn't get the name here. Do you see the name? Nicholas. Yeah, Nicholas. Oh, thank you Nicholas, man. I appreciate that. That's a good joke. Fiat fan is dead. I might ask you for that URL in the future. We can do something together. I'm just going to uh, quickly share it for people who aren't yeah. able to get to the screen right now. Amazing. <laughs> I, I can tell you right me. now that that URL probably costed 99 cents. That is not a high demand <laughs> URL. <laughs> um, um, the last thing I want to say, though, is uh, even though Manish told me I talked too much last week, is uh, uh, oh, so I just want to talk about energy levels, right? Just it just throws everything off. So it's just my fault. I forgot that I was going to the zoo. <laughs> I'm such a dad. I was going to the zoo today, so we didn't record at our usual time, which is 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. But you guys are fine. It's just like different parts of the day, just totally different energy levels, right? I don't. I have no idea how I'm so wired right now. Like I'm eight hours away from my last drink of caffeine, and what? I'm just like, I don't Jack's know. Jack's on the coffee right now, 6:30 p.m. I'm on the. You know, the decaf drop the uh, the uh, Kamita plug i'm on the i'm on the ship now are you guys both on commuter i've been on it too to be honest yeah and that, i didn't get it sent for free so heads up if commuter are listening or whatever they call it, <laughs> i need that little Wait, side what, deal you're not on you're not on east you're 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 uh central central yeah yeah well this is decaf okay okay jack on, doesn't so drink coffee after 12 o'clock Dude, he's why a pro. do people drink decaf i don't get it i never understood that it's just nice isn't it just for the taste just for the taste, yeah. It's like non-alcoholic beer. Little you square know, chocolate and a decaf, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, not even a little bit. I've never had a decaf in my life. Although apparently if you're an asshole at Starbucks, they'll give you decaf. So maybe I have had you it. You probably have had it, yeah. 
All right, so boys, let's get this going. So we got a couple, let's let people know what we're going to talk about today. So Richard Branson's going to space. This is fresh off the press. We're going to talk about it in a second. We're going to talk about memes, nostalgia, and some old school, uh, some of our favorite ads of all time. And Jack's got a thesis on that, as he always does. Beautiful. And then we're going to do a little bit of crypto. Jay-Z bought CryptoPunk, uh, Sam Altman's WorldCoin, which is kind of mental. Uh, we've also got Jack Maulers, who's tr allowing people to buy a Bitcoin uh, with zero fees, Bitcoin tab. We'll quickly touch on all that, Coinbase as well. And then we got some uh, fun fact fan coming today, the Sriracha thread, which was front page of Hacker News. I just saw that like 20 Dude, minutes ago. number didn't one. That's, I didn't even know that was on my bucket list, but I checked it off anyways. That's amazing. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the history of Sriracha. Your dad who's watching. Hello, Mr. Fan. Um, he's <laughs> been asking fan. for Doctor more. Fan, he went Doctor to two medical school. So don't you dare take away the doctor. <laughs> doctor Squared. Uh, he wanted more Vietnamese content. So we got some Sriracha stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But that's, there's plenty for us to talk about. And then obviously the Facebook uh, antitrust stuff. We'll get a little lowdown on that as well. Uh, but yeah, look, the, well, let's start off with Richard Branson going to space because this is fresh as we've been recording. It's literally um, less than an hour old. But I mean, let's be honest. The reason why you guys want to shoehorn it in is because you're both British and you're both English, and what's going on? <laughs> Tell them what's really happening. Tell listeners what's really happening. So, I mean, well, what's happening is it's coming home, is what's happening. <laughs> okay, what well, that means well, well, explain the, what's going on for people that don't watch uh, football, whatever this sport's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, so this is football, AK, where, you, yeah, um, there's a European Championships going on right now, and we're recording before the big quarterfinal on the weekend, so by the time this comes out, we'll actually know if England progressed. But long story short, England just beat Germany for the first time in. How good you know, did that forever. feel? I want you guys to say how, because Germany is a fucking. Yeah, oh, close up on I Jack. I just got fined. I just got fined. <laughs> Germany is a powerhouse. Incredible side. They're, they're other than Brazil. They're, they're, they've got to be the best uh, football nation in the world. Well, they're right? always solid. That's the thing. You, yeah. They're never like flashy, high flair, but they're always just like German oh. companies. Like Putting you just go churn them out. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jack, actually, what, what were you doing that day, Jack? You, yeah, you watched it in the local boozer, right? Explain no. to people how good it feels. Though. I don't think a lot of Westerners will understand how good this feels. I mean, no. not Westerners, North Americans. It's outrageous, man. Like you grow up watching, you grow up watching England play football. And there's a, there is this like, I don't know if other countries have such an inflated expectation relative to their history as, as a, as a sports team. But, England is has always had this distorted belief. I think that the England football team is the best in the world. You've and only had one World Cup, right? Correct. Nineteen sixty-six. Okay. Yeah. it's crazy. Long time ago, but you go to the UK, any national competition, you would think you know there was a legitimate like coin toss chance <laughs> of them winning every time. And obviously that hasn't been the case. And we're doing like it again right now because it's <laughs> only the cool finals. Hold on, we need to talk about this. So like, as a Canadian, I've, I, I, what you're describing is so true because like I'm a very third-party observer of football. Every four years, I get hyped about the World Cup and I, I'll, I'll obviously bandwagon like Brazil. Like I freaking love Brazil. But you're right. Every World Cup I'll remember from 98, that's when Brazil lost to France. I remember going into every World Cup is like, this is England's year. This is England's year, right? <laughs> Michael Owen, David Beckham. Yeah, like, yeah. It always had these superstar players and just not... Michael Owen had that goal though, right? Was it 2002 or 98? Like a really famous 98 goal. Yeah. against... The Argentina one, right? The way you yeah. took on the whole... But yeah, so basically what's happening is just to bring it back, England beat Germany. Jack was getting on it that day, I'm sure, having a good time uh, with his kid in one arm and a pint in the other, I'm sure. <laughs> I was watching at home, so I didn't actually get to enjoy it properly with like English people. But this weekend, I will definitely go out to watch the game. But yeah, the the reason it's worth mentioning is just like, it's like a weird thing, man. It's like this nostalgia comes back. Like I literally, the next morning I was playing all the England songs, like yeah. all of the, um, like on my Spotify playlist. And they're, they're the most ridiculous songs. But what's the, what's the big one, Jack? I mean, it's Three Vindaloo, lines. which is Three, yeah, lines. Three Lines is the, the classic one, right? And, and me and Jack were texting about this because we're basically saying it's ridiculous that every year or every like big tournament, everyone starts singing these songs. And it, it makes no sense. Like, we, we haven't won anything since 1966. <laughs> no, 
when you say bringing it home, that literally makes no bringing it home makes no sense. It doesn't belong to the English. Well, because football was invented apparently in the UK. Okay. That's why, yeah, apparently. Okay, so that's the that's the illusion. Not like bringing it home. Like we we every year we should be having this defending champions. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, the opposite of that. Okay, so that's the real reason you guys want to talk about Richard Branson. So all we'll mention is that Richard Branson is. I just tweeted about it. It's getting some, it's getting some traction. It's like, it's the greatest hold my beer move ever. It's like Bezos is like, I'm going to space on July 20th. And uh, Richard Branson is like, hold my effing beer. I'm going on July 11th brother. And uh, so he's nine days ahead, but there's a, somebody replied with a really morbid uh, reply, <laughs> like not a mean one, but he just goes any, like any engineer or someone that's in the space industry will know that the safety record of Virgin Galactic is does not, not great, inspire right. confidence. Uh, so I sold my shares, what? mate. I sold my <laughs> this week. They went up forty percent, and I had to cash out to to break even. Finally, oh my goodness, dude. But, um, my question was going to be what constitutes space because Virgin Virgin Galactic's never put anything yeah, in the air. I thought they had. No, they're like talking. I don't know the full thing here. Let me pull it up. But I think it's to your point. It's like there's these lines that you hit right when you pass certain parts of the atmosphere. Right, or you right. Go the orbit and yeah i think yeah i don't know what they're trying to pull off here but uh i mean it's like elon joked about it too right when when uh when blue origin had his first like landing self-landing rocket he's like well technically you guys didn't go into space right so apparently amongst billionaires it's a inside joke like what real space is so who What's knows like man? legit key man risk isn't it putting your oh ceo in a i don't even know if he's a ceo but it seems very ludicrous for jeff bezos especially like why why it's just so i mean that the all-in guys had a great uh thesis they'd spend like whole episode on it they're like uh he's like he's gonna come back and become ceo of blue origin like this is all gonna be part of it uh, right. but, they also said that, but they also said that it was just so ridiculous well they split but they're just like this is they're like this is just not it's just not worth it crazy all right so boys let's talk about um so yeah that was richard branson i mean there's not much more to say. Also, apart from, also like, British cat. Oh, what you trying to British say is you're about to have a big month. You're about to have it a big is. month. I mean, he's representing. I mean, he's been doing it since what, like 90s or whatever, like jumping out of planes and uh, hot air balloons and all that sort of stuff. Actually, the first book I ever pretty much read on my own accord was his autobiography. It was what inspired my entrepreneurial, whatever you want to call it. And man, I mean, he's, he's it, like, there aren't many people that have, kept at the top of the game like him you as know what i mean in his has, own yeah. way and, the, and the mental like variation in fields and industries that he's yeah it's incredible well i mean let, jack let, let me throw this in your ball uh your court you'll you'll appreciate this as a as a as a student of attention how good of a practitioner is richard branson oh, yeah he's good man he he gets it man he's been playing the game a lot longer than anybody even knew there was a game yeah he gets it that's why he'll put everything under the name Virgin, right? Like he immediately understands. Smart as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. All right. So talking of attention, <laughs> let's talk about um, <laughs> a fraction of culture. Jack, you talked to, to us about this um, in the past and I didn't fully get it. So I wanted to get your take and explain this. I think the back, I don't know if you were going to share your screen. Yeah, um, I can. But let me, still, let me tee it up first and then I'll, I'll do the screen share. But yeah, the, really walk through it. The football is a good example, I think. So like those songs that feels to me maybe this is a uh, like this is biased because i grew up in the uk but you have these like assets that everybody gets or understands and they break down like a bunch of different cultural barriers and location barriers not like everybody knows the words to three lions for example and then Bilal, i think we were having this conversation a couple months ago in the uk whenever i go back there the ads on TV, everybody knows the words to the ads. So like Ooh. a lot of, uh, like so much attention is concentrated on like four or five channels in the UK. So, you know, in, in the States and probably Canada, what you've had 300 um, cable channels for the last 10 years. Yeah. But in the UK, when Bilal and I were growing up, there's like, maybe you have a few digital channels, but it's like five channels. And Plus channel you. Yeah, <laughs> channel you. <laughs> But Classic yeah, no, there were five okay, no. terrestrial shows, right? What like, are, what are uh, like BBC? Like what, what were BBC the main one and two, yeah. ITV, ITV, Channel 4, and then eventually Channel 5 came later. Yeah, so 
but there's weirdly one of the best examples is an American ad. Do you remember the Budweiser ad where they're all, uh, was, uh, yeah. yeah. The, um, so that thing became a meme and like split out of the TV. Right. And like okay. people would, you know, you walk up to people you didn't know and say that and like, you know, walk up to them in a gas station and they're singing it. Everyone but got it. Everyone gets it straight away. And then this, I guess the thing that I've been thinking about a lot is now everybody sort of curates their own media diet on the phone versus like a family sitting in front of a TV. And I realized this a couple of years ago, me and Celia have built like completely different news feeds, right? So you're sitting there all day consuming like completely different stuff. I hope so. Cause your feed is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Man, dude, if Celia was listening to Michael Saylor all day, like you're, you're, your kid would have a problem, man. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, let me share my screen here. So I got a little illustration to represent this. Okay. So like when you're growing up, it's like four of you, like a family of four sitting in front of a TV, you all consume the same stuff, right? They have a, uh, you know, TV program, then you have a set of ads. Everybody's like consuming the same stuff. But now that's basically fractured into quarters and every person has built their own yeah. media feed and your physical proximity doesn't really uh, necessarily mean that you consume the same media as a person oh, you're yeah. sitting next to. Yeah. It's just like a profound difference in like what are the cultural implications of that. Balaji talks a lot about this. He's like, your next door neighbor's probably have a completely different mental model of the world than you do yeah. because they built different feeds. But if you, you know, rewind 15 years, your next door neighbor in, in the UK, you'd walk out in the morning and be like, Oh, did you watch thingy last night? It was good. Wasn't it? Or do you watch the news? That's the story. You'd go into school and in the office and you'd talk about big brother Same or stuff. whatever was on TV yeah. at the time. And I think and this is still going on a little bit in the UK, right? Bilal? Yeah, I mean, like, I see my feed right now because Love Island just started and I just see a bunch of people tweeting nonsense. Um, but yeah, I, get, I, I will say, I mean, you left like 10 years ago, was it? Mm -hmm. And I've mm -hmm. been gone for eight, almost years as well. So I'm wondering how... I'm wondering how much has changed there. Like, I don't really have a full understanding apart from speaking to my parents, but they're a certain generation. So, right. um, but I think that was really succinctly put, like like I think of it from my background in advertising as well, like the way you can target obviously ads to two people sitting next to each other is completely different. Yeah. And previously you'd be in the living room and you're watching the same TV channel and you're going to see the same Huggies nappy ad or whatever, uh, or a car ad. And now I'm on a feed and I'm getting like, you know, the Cometeer coffee retargeting ad. And then someone <laughs> sitting next to me is getting like whatever else. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting, interesting point for sure. Well, the same, well, same news story could be presented in two different ways too, right? Like the I'm on Zero Hedge and Celia is reading CNN or something. <laughs> We're getting a different takeaway. <laughs> no, I, uh, you actually know who talks about this law is Eric Weinstein. Uh, he talks about, um, uh, he works at uh, Teal Capital as managing director. He's also like a PhD in physics. Yeah, and you know, like big podcaster. He, uh, he might have been red pilled, but uh, no, he talks about uh, he talks about the truth making mechanisms in society, right? So uh, to Jack's point, uh, 50, 60 years ago, there are three networks in America: CBS, ABC, NBC, right? And that's why you had a guy like Walter Cronkite, a single anchor, would it would be accepted as a truth making mechanism for an entire country, right? That's why when actually one of the reasons. It was uh, it was believed a contributing reason why the American populace turned on the Vietnam War was when Walter Conkright came back from Vietnam. He was like, I don't think we can win this war. And we're talking a guy that has hundreds of millions of people. And to Jack's point, everyone's watching him, right? We know why everyone, uh, we know everyone's watching him. You know your neighbor's watching him. This is why the Super Bowl still pulls in so much advertising dollars. It's because even as culture is getting fractured, you know, these are these, these, these fewer and fewer of these moments where everybody will be, right? So you can make one of these WhatsApp ads at Super Bowl or, or a guy like The Weeknd will actually, The Weeknd paid to actually perform. Yeah, he smart. got X amount, but he put an extra 10 million into the performance because he knew exactly at Jack's point. He's like, there's so few, and it goes back to everything we told us, the scarcity, right? It's like scarcity of events like this where hundreds of millions of people will be watching. So this actually, as you're talking, it got me thinking about Elon's Twitter feed because we all, I've talked about Elon so much on this podcast. But if you actually think about, okay, let's say that 
let's say the 300 million people are on, on, on Twitter, right? And realistically, they, there are probably tens of millions of different uh, viewpoints. So we'll assume that a lot of people gather into certain viewpoints, right? Like, like a lot of the Bitcoiners and crypto people will gather into one sliver so we can group them all together. But let's just say there's millions of difference of these type of, uh, exactly like that picture you put up, of these realities that people have. But actually the, the amazing thing about Elon is this, is everybody gathers to him, right? As soon as he tweets, He's sucking all the energy and all the oxygen towards him. No matter yeah, yeah. what your uh, view of the world is, if you hate him, you're going to go there and quote tweet, I hate him. If you love him, you're going to be in his replies. If you're running scams, you're going to be in his replies, right? If you're just trying to grow your personal Twitter, you're going to be in his replies. Everyone is gathering to Elon's. Uh, I would love to somebody to flesh this idea, but like his. So if Twitter is a platform where people are building their own realities and Elon is the place where everyone gathers every time he tweets on that platform. Like, what does that say about him, right? Yeah, like, and he tweeted recently, he who controls the memes controls the universe, right? right? So he gets that he's manipulating at scale. Well, it's just so much too. It's like he's on the platform where people, like the seedlings of things start. So like, even though there's a saying like Twitter is not the real world, right? So I mean, there's a great example of this actually. This is also from the All In podcast. Andrew Yang huge Twitter personality. Yeah. 2 million Twitter followers all over Twitter. The guy that actually won the mayorship, no Twitter presence. So the all in guys were just making the point. It's like, you know what? Like, honestly, like Twitter is just not in a lot of ways it can be, but there's just so many. Wow. That's, like, a great, that's a great, that's a great example, point. right? It's like, man, if you're on Twitter, you're like, Yang's winning. How can this guy not win, right? But also <laughs> it's because of the echo chambers too, right? Because I mean, I think he objectively was more popular on Twitter or like has more reach. But their point on the All In podcast was, well, we're all in our own little bubbles. We just think that the world revolves around this, whereas real people are going and voting differently as we saw four years ago. But Twitter can clearly seed the, well, even before, right? If you go through the stacks of where influence happens, like 4chan, 8chan, Reddit, Imgur, and then Twitter, or Imgur's before Reddit. And then it goes up to Twitter. And then that's how culture gets seeded. Uh, you're right. I mean, obviously, Trump is just—he's a, a total, uh, uh, a far, you know, extreme example of Twitter actually reflecting reality. But I guess at that level, when you're at the hundred million level, then that is can be reality, right? You said three hundred million. Is that right, Trump? Uh, let me see. Uh, daily active users, Twitter. But yeah, that, that's like that puts right. it into context. Like even an Elon is like fifty million. That's like a significant percentage of the entire user base of the platform. Yeah, yeah one to think about it like that. Well, it's shocking well, to me. It's not a hundred. It is. Uh, yeah. So they're saying so two to three hundred mil. It looks like. I will say one thing to add though is the way we're describing it. I think we all center around in this segment of like society, right? Like obviously Elon Musk is reach on hundreds of millions of people through Twitter directly, plus all the press mentions, etc. But for another category or another world, like something very different, Elon Musk is not influencing fashion, right? Like if you think of like, all like the way people look, like Kim Kardashian, if right, you look at and their family. 100 million followers. Uh, exactly. And how they're, you know, people literally did their faces up and the way that they dress and like the curve of the shape of people's bodies has changed over like the last 20 years. What is like cool or whatever word you want to use or attractive or whatever mm -hmm. because of like the influence of people like Kim Kardashian family. Right. Um, but like, it's uh, not to get too kind of like analytical about this, but you know, in like business world, you learn about like the, the curve right like the adoption curve and there's like early adopters oh, yeah. innovators or whatever yep. and in this world like the stuff we're interested in a lot of it starts with the tech people right like elon musk is included in that but it's also like if you think of like social platforms like clubhouse uh, a year and a half ago was only being used by uh, like basically VCs geeks and, and their vcs and friends <laughs> and it was like a thousand a few thousand people and then fast forward you know forget that it might be dying now or whatever but like fast forward a year that really got out to like more cultural people like joe budden is in there hosting rooms with like tens of thousands of people and uh, you've got like rappers coming on there and celebrities and stuff like that so it's just like it depends on which 
part of the kind of ecosystem you're looking at. But I think like legitimately Elon has a disproportionate amount. The other one I think of is like someone like Joe Rogan before he went on to Spotify, yeah. because that was another segment of people that were listening for two, three hours YouTube, to him several right? days a week. Exactly. And it was people learning about these alternative narratives, whether that's good or bad. Um, like, and, and they were literally learning about this stuff and then being introduced to other different people that they go down their rabbit holes. Like Eric Weinstein is a great yep. example of that. And the other five or six people that basically launched podcasts from, from you know what? Joe the Rogan. next episode, uh, two things I'll follow up on is, uh, I want to do exactly what you said. I want to see like the top 10 guys he's launched. He's like, he launched like Weinstein, Jordan Peterson, Lex Freeman, a bunch of other people. We could do that. And actually a, a former CIA analyst named Martin Gurry wrote a book called The Revolt of the Public. Um, I'm, I'm going to dig into that because it actually goes into exactly what uh, Jack started this with. It's like, what is the end game of when you fracture culture? Like what happens, right? Like, where does that lead? I mean, we see a lot of it now, right? You, it happened with Brexit, it happened with Trump. It's like, there's this, there is this truth making mechanism that existed for decades, which was like the New York Times, the central television stations. And actually now it's probably the big tech, right? They are the truth making mechanism in a lot of ways. They're deciding. But um, he goes through and basically draws a line of what he sees will happen. The book came out in like 2011 or 12, basically predicted Trump and Brexit. So uh, I will do a little bit of research for the next one. So we can. Well, probably- it's, I mean, it just shows like just to tie a, a bow in that last thought like that's why Spotify were willing to pay 100, 200 million dollars for someone like Joe Rogan because yeah. they understand the impact someone like him was having where most people on the street would be like, what are you talking about? Who the hell is, totally. what the guy from Fear Factor or whatever it was, <laughs> right? And they had no understanding that people were literally listening to him for hours, um, like learning about all sorts of stuff and going down rabbit holes. So anyway, definitely interesting. So yeah, let's do that next time. Jack, anything else on your side before we move on um, on that thought around Budweiser and the, the fraction of culture stuff? I, I was just going to say, follow up to your last point about people investing in or companies investing in media personalities and, and like power laws and all the stuff we talked about, call a daddy, is that a good deal or a bad deal? I think um, something I've started to... I don't know know if I talked about this on the last episode, but the predictability of media as an asset. So like culture as something that is more um, robust than like a financial asset, like a story about a company can tank a stock, right? But if you think about a song or a podcast or a person, there's a certain number of people that just believe in them that are going to keep listening to them. And Spotify is obviously looking at a set of numbers where like, if this continues the way it's going, or even if it peels off or it plateaus, we're still going to make our money back on this thing. Because I think there's a like, it's very hard to quantify the idea that there is X number of people that just are going to tune in and listen to what this person has to say, regardless of what happens. Good, bad, controversy, no controversy, different than is a company that's, just been found out that they don't have a product and they're wheeling a truck down a hill. Like what was that one called? Uh, Nicola, Nicola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a pretty fascinating thing. And that's again, to go into the crypto stuff. I think this might tee us perfectly into the next topic. It's lowering the barrier to entry to bet on things that aren't traditionally considered assets, but have a way more uh, interesting, predictable right. um, value. It's uh, if you can, yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. Uh, it's like if you can, if you you identify something that can create narratives and worlds, then that people and audiences are attracted to, right? Like, just take a caller, Daddy, for example. She clearly is worth sixty mil to Spotify. They're like, there's a subset of humanity that is giving her attention, and we will pay for that attention, like yeah. specifically through her as a mediating tool. Well, I was going to add that there's, the, there's like numbers. There's like, are you getting enough numbers that people like your stuff? And then there's like the, I hate to use this phrase, but like the depth for like, is this a movement? Is this like, right, have you right. created language that people are using, right? Like call a daddy again. I don't listen to it, but I know enough about it where people refer to themselves as part of that group or they they have slang, they have in jokes. Like there's a reason yeah. us guys make jokes about Fiat Fan. One, because it's funny, but it's also we understand well, that's dude, part of like- Leaped into reality, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the greatest point, right? Some 
<laughs> Somebody bought a URL. Sorry, man. I'll demo you the money back. But no, it's just like these small things, right? No, totally. That uh oh man, that's super interesting. Well, it comes back to like to tie it into the next section, Jay-Z, right? Like Jay-Z, like we were talking about tech early adopters, Kardashians, to me, the biggest one in many ways for culture, what, however you broadly define that, uh, like music, um, you know, lifestyle, uh, you know, um, what else is there? Like fashion, like yeah. the impact of hip hop culture, like across the world, like this, this dude break dancing in Japan, right? Like that's, yeah. that. if you were to talk about influence over the last like 34 years on culture, Nothing like someone like, like Jay-Z is right up there um, in business, music and everything he's doing. So like we spoke about this a few days ago, he bought a crypto punk and changed his profile picture. So this is a huge kind of turning point. Like when we were looking at this, we were happy for Jack because Jack owns one of those. And for us in general, validating- Jack, did it go up? Did it go up? It's moving. Like there's a lot more activity happening over there, but it's a long, it's a long road. It's going to be a crypto punk summer, boys. Mark my words. (laughs) But yeah, so Jack, tell, tell us about like what you think of that because- like you're you're someone who thought through investing in something like this one because you probably wanted one anyway but also probably for like as an investment right like you have to convince wifey that it's not a ridiculous investment for your family so like what what how did you think about that and how does it relate to someone like jay-z getting one so well, there's a couple of things going on with jay-z one specifically because of the Jack Dorsey and title thing. So, right. I, but that aside for a second, I think Jay Z's, the moves that Jay Z has made over the past uh, X number of years, title is a perfect example of like a technology that came too early, right? Or a, uh, an idea who's, who's, that came too early. And I think crypto culture embodies a lot of what he was trying to achieve with title which is essentially we want to put ownership in the hands of the artists we want there to be way less of a cut from a middleman like these labels are taking advantage of you know young kids that have got this cultural momentum and even even back then i don't know what year title came out but distribution didn't exist in the same way it does today right there was like there are certain gatekeepers in the way of you getting a number one song and maybe there still are but that reality is changing and i think one of the reasons i like second guess the or or thought twice about it is like i know tidal and dorsey are like there's there's something going on there right jay-z tidal jack dorsey because tidal got bought by square was it yeah by square And Dorsey's combining Twitter and, and Square maybe in the future. Like he knows that Twitter is He's uh, playing I mean, some 4D chess right or, now. Or man. you listen, our boy Packy writes about it, man. We know how much uh we know how much Dorsey loves crypto, right? He's seeing he's seeing the playing field, he's seeing all the pieces out there, right? He sees that Twitter is a culture component, Square is a monetization component, and then if you can just that's why he put uh, uh, Jay-Z on the board of Square, right? And so they bought title. There, something's going on, you're right. I mean, there's something happening, man. But I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, I saw a tweet a couple of days ago. I think Jack Dorsey thinks Ethereum is a shit coin. Am I, am I right? Are you serious? I'm, I'm pretty sure, yeah. So, so there's some some. There is no second coin. Is he one of those? There. Exactly. There is no second <laughs> There is no second best. Dude, it looks like he's been. <laughs> it looks like he's been drinking the sailor cool, the Kool Aid. Right, but 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 Jay Z like bought that two months ago, and from I don't know whether this is a legitimate source or not. It's like it sounds like he's got his own, like he's figuring it out. He's like someone gifted him Hove.eth, Sean Carter.eth, verified on OpenSea, and like the the crazy thing about an Ethereum wallet is people can just send stuff to it when they have your yeah. wallet so there's like obviously a lot of interesting things happen with that as soon as you know what jay-z's uh jay-z's ethereum stuff. address people just sling and spam into that wallet um because they think, then take a screenshot and say hey right, jay-z is yeah. holding this shit yeah. it's basically what happened to vitalik he got like shiba coin or oh, whatever yeah. like it ended up being a billion dollars worth just sitting in an account that he ended up donating most of it 
uh, to India, whatever, COVID relief, and then burnt the rest. But yeah, so that's pr- probably going to start happening to him as well. Yeah, and that, like, I think that's just uh, all the front end stuff is going to fix that, right? Like OpenSea, you can only show the stuff that you want to show and it would technically be possible for someone to look at what you're holding. But all of these um, platforms that are built for showcasing art and stuff are, are, are I'll tell you something that. interesting is that uh, you know, uh, Andreessen's obviously super heavy in the creator space. I think they've done 12 deals this year for, for a half a billion dollars. So they invested Stir, Substack, uh, Clubhouse. They uh, they actually made uh, one of their partners, a general partner. His name's Chris Lyons. Chris Lyons was a former manager at SosoDef and basically is known as just a total networker, right? He's African-American and uh, he ran their culture fund. And I mean, Andreessen understands, right? Ben Horst always writes about hip hop lyrics and uh, they understand where culture comes from. And to make him, to elevate him as a general partner at the same time, they're just going all nuts on the creator economy. There's clearly this recognition that so much of black culture, I mean, some, there was a tweet that, uh, that Jack Dorsey between Twitter and Square, right? Black culture is responsible for like 50% of like the market or like what's valuable on those platforms. Right. And even Square uh, was kind of hacked to growth. Uh, the hip hop community was huge with it, right? They're giving cash apps away to their to their their fandom. Uh, rappers were doing it, and uh, other and Clubhouse artists. as well was kind of uh, oh, taken right, to yeah. the next level. Um, I don't, again, I don't know how it's doing nowadays, but. Like that was, you would go on it at times and you'd be like, there was only African-American people on my feed, which was, which was fun, but it was just like, kind of like being on it a few months before where it was like Naval and a bunch of nerds, like geeking out about his like tweets. It was like completely different. I actually walked into a room, uh, I went into a room just, uh, it was like a pretty heady room and it was just like, and it sounded like uh, some of the, the guests were actually like pimps and like escorts. And I'm like, oh yeah, and then like going to the room is like, listen, if you're not if you're not looking to pay, like you're not getting on stage today, I'm like, yo, I'm gonna go to another room, man. My wife can't be hearing this. But my favorite last anecdote on Clubhouse was just people would send people money on Cash App, just like uh, they would like the look of a person of the opposite cell <laughs> or someone in, uh, maybe not opposite sex, someone they're attracted to, and they'll be like, oh, I just sent that person fifty dollars on Cash App, and it's like this is the funniest. Like if you think of that of culture, like. And this has nothing to do with specific cultures, just like stuff that was happening on Clubhouse at that time. Like that's how new social norms like arise, right? Like like back in the day, you take someone out for a drink or dinner. Now it was like, hey, I'm just sending you money. Like to me, that's weird, but maybe someone else is not. But well, uh, let me pin let me pin this thought with uh, I actually saw the first person pick up another person in real life in probably three to four years. I was at the mall. And I saw one dude stop a girl walking dead in her steps. And I, you could tell, you know what's going on. They don't know each other. And then they swap phones. I'm like, okay, I haven't seen that one in a long time. I'm like, that, that, that means to me COVID's over, brother. <laughs> yeah, that was the handshake equivalent yeah. of uh, you're touching each other's then. phones. Um, but Jack, last thing on, on anything else on Jay-Z before we move on? Because I think you're in the middle of something. I think um, it's very similar to what we talked about in the last episode where there are like cultural norms in place where it's going to take a lot of shifting to get people to be like, Hey, launch your new album on chain. Right. Or like you don't need to be affiliated with universal to go out and sell X number of uh, copies of your music. And I think the real, like obviously the infrastructure is being built and you can technically make stuff happen. But the, you know, the longer game is like getting people to understand crypto and tokenomics and all of these like, you know, Robin Hood for investing in music is all going to happen, but it's going to take a little while. And that's why I think Cash App, Square, Twitter, Tidal, like you can see all these layers like meshing together to produce uh, and, and they're even doing monetization with Twitter creators right now we're in this bubble where you think of creators as like people writing how to grow your Twitter account. And it's, it's like, it's not that at all, right? It's yeah, yeah. Jay-Z is a creator. Kanye West is a creator. Beyonce is a creator. And those are, I think, the use cases that Twitter or whatever are going to ultimately build for, not the person with a, you know, 1,200 people reading their newsletter. Um, 
yeah, so I, I, it's a, obviously a massively bullish signal for uh, crypto punks specifically, but the whole space. Yeah, I think uh, something like that is is effectively an endorsement of a new way of transacting, right? Which is exciting. And and a part of this, look, I'll say to call myself out, part of this is confirmation bias or wh- whatever phrase you want to use. Like, oh, deaf, deaf, man, me too. Yeah, yeah, we all have a bit of that, obviously, like everyone does. But no, I mean, someone like Jay-Z playing around with his stuff is not going to do anything but improve uh, or like move things forward because he's the sort of person who's creative, he's working in different worlds, and he he's not just like a tech geek who is and i say this as someone i say that in a loving way right like i'm not putting people down like I, I would say i'm a geek in my own way but like someone who's trying to see like what are the real use cases of this stuff which i think is still missing how do how am i going to explain to beyonce and our kids like why we're doing a minimum uh, or, or a limited edition album cover as an nft as an example mm-hmm. or making mm-hmm. this up or why are we creating a title dow and like the dow has got kanye west and like 20 other big artists who are creating like a new structure of a company through programmable ways versus like an old school LLC or a C Corp or whatever. So again, I don't know what I'm really talking about, but like you can see some of those things coming together. And even like like yesterday, I think Twitter were giving out a bunch of these NFTs um, on on Twitter, which is kind of cool. So it's just like, yeah, I can see all these worlds coming together. Uh, A quick question for you guys. Uh, Go go on, on, Jack. I was just going to say, I remember that too. And now I'm like, Twitter, Square, Bitcoin, Jack Dorsey, Ethereum. What's going on? It's what's going on, boys? Pretty big. Yeah. No, but I, I think like closing the gap between his like Bitcoin only and then Twitter like shilling NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. It's kind of a that's true interesting contradiction. So maybe he's maybe he's doing some forty chess, like you said. Dude, you know what, uh, Jack? I think Jack Dorsey's routine when pre-COVID or maybe still now is he just walks like two hours to his office and just thinks. I mean, this, this is like, this is the product of Jack Dorsey just walking to his office and thinking for two hours. Yeah. That's where the magic happens, man. Yeah, um, said, I, I remember hearing that he only, he only works on his phone as well. Oh my God. So oh my. The idea being that you, because you only can have one window open at a time. Yeah. I remember smart. him saying that. So you just... You're in the thing you're in. That's amazing. That's I, uh, I, I'm not going to give Dorsey. I know people give Dorsey slander about Twitter and all. Dude, the guy's, a, the guy's just a total animal. Man. Oh, <laughs> There's just sure. no way around no it. Doubt. Absolute boss. Um, yeah, all right. So I think we covered that. That was really interesting. The last question I had on it was if we have any predictions for some of the things that might happen in the future with like a Jay-Z or other artists. Like I gave one as an example, which I completely stole from the clubhouse chat with Meek Mill and Pump. Uh, that was like six months Wait, ago or Meek something Mill like that. And Pump was it, Meek, was it Meek Mill, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was like, um, the, who's the Galaxy guy? The, Novogratz was in there, Mike Novogratz, and a bunch of crypto people. But it was cool because it was like, you know, old school crypto, crypto people trying to explain it. And then there was like Meek Mill. And, you know, Meek Mill's a really interesting guy as well. He's been working on a bunch of cool stuff. So like he's in there asking like legit questions that sound dumb to someone who is into crypto but is exactly the sort of questions you need to move something forward because he's like well wait a minute why would i do that and that's what's missing a lot of the time so yeah curious if you guys have any ideas or thoughts around like how like that might actually look in the future it sounds like uh when we get these uh uh, reader questions about what is the future of smart contracts in society explain the memes i'm gonna have to noodle on this one (laughs) no that's all right i thought i'd throw out there in case something does come out but if not we can just move on no i think you'll get maybe you'll see like uh the like democratization of or, or music turning into an investable asset that's definitely gonna be a thing. Um, I don't know if I brought this up before. I met a lad in Miami who's building this product called Indify. Yeah, yeah, you talked about that last we week. Actually, it. Yeah, it was yeah, one yeah, of the, yeah, yeah. One of the user questions. Well, I see that like happening at scale potentially. That that would be cool. Yeah, imagine the people able to directly invest in that stuff. Plus, you've got all the limited edition stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah well, definitely. I will say one other thing. I want one other thing about it. Like the it has like really profound and weird effects. I think this is an Naval quote. He says, 
democracy, sorry, technology democratizes production, but consolidates consumption. So if you're the best in the world at anything, you get to do it for anyone or for everyone. So what that means is like, if, if music is an investable asset, the people who win, win absolutely massively, right? And money starts to really change the incentives. Like we like to think about this as like this utopian future where people allocate funds just because they like someone's music. But if the number stays flat, you better believe they're reallocating their funds to this song that just exploded or this artist. Exactly. So I think that's like, you can make the argument that that's a meritocracy, but it's, decentralization is very good for people who are amazing at stuff and very bad for people who aren't. Yeah. You have to deal. So uh, the framework that's really good to use is like, what are the skill sets that are needed? I know Jack's talked about this past in a world of just like abundance, right? Like what skills are needed where everything's kind of available and the scarce asset is attention. And uh, I mean, I think this all, we can tie this all in with like that Martin Gurry, like the breaking up of attention, see what happens. Um, that the research I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> Bring it All back right, next week. Um, did either of you read about Sam Altman's WorldCoin thing? The summary from what I read very briefly was Sam Altman. So he was uh, the head of Y Combinator for a while. He had a company before that didn't seem to go that well, but he sold it and whatever. Um, he's got this idea to do this thing called WorldCoin. All I heard was from Jason Calicanis, his um, uh, podcast this week in startups and i was actually quite surprised like i like jason overall i think he's you know like sees a lot of stuff but his whole viewpoint on on like crypto oh, seems yeah, crypto? super yeah, he's, biased uh, by this point and maybe i'm as biased and that's why I, I i see it that way but like to me some of the stuff he was saying was essentially like sam altman is saying we're gonna scan your iris and yeah. that will be the basis of like this new coin. And, and like Jason will seem to think that it could potentially challenge like Bitcoin and these other things like that. So all I'd say is that there's probably a lot more to this. Uh, I just think trying to convince anyone in, an, in 2021 to scan the iris, even though we all do it on our phones and we give our thumbprint away to Apple and, and I give my DNA to 23andMe, right? But like to do this just in the cryptocurrency, like it's quite a big step. But well, I don't I mean, know, like, what, uh, what about you? I did read it briefly. I'll, I'll, I'll two comments. Is uh, The funny one was, uh, so a big criticism about him is that his startup was just a total failure. So actually the Wall Street Journal called it a middling social network. Uh, I can't remember what the name of it was. It does, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. But he basically, the critics of Sam Altman is like, this guy just kept failing up, right? And like his startup was basically not great, but he was tight with Paul Graham and Paul, uh, Paul Graham ran and found a Y Combinator. So just put him at the top of it. And, um, but TLDR is he wants to implement some type of universal basic income with this uh, identification and world coin that he's creating. And actually there is, there is a precedent, right. For, for uh, a biological identificator identification tag and basically UBI, which is, or some type of form of a, a, a government giving money or an institution giving money it's in India. I mean, what's the name of the program? It's like countrywide, right? Everybody has the bio, the bio, Pakistani, bro. Yeah, biometric, bio, <laughs> whatever. So people know what they're talking about, right? Bio identificators are with the government of India and they're supposed to get uh, kind of that if you're on government support, you just get money based on this kind of database they have. And uh, I think that this is ideas along that route. And I'm just going to go back to your point of uh, scanning an IRS for a, with a guy like Sam Altman, who has this kind of like Peter Thielish type of reputation. It's like, I don't, I don't know who's going to be wanting to be doing scanning the eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'll say is I definitely agree with you. And I'm probably on that side. At the same time, if you told me 10 years ago, we'd stay in strangers' houses, get in their cars, like uber and airbnb or 23 me like i paid to give my dna away basically probably (laughs) in some government database by this point to to the sister-in-law of the ex uh, ex ex-wife of uh, sergey brin so i know no i think it was wasn't his ex-wife sergey brin's ex-wife yeah 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 yeah. i got some stories on that as well but i don't know if we'll get time to google (laughs) i'm the ceo of youtube Definitely interesting. I think it's an interesting idea, but let's see. I, I think we can probably move on from that one. All right, we've got um, 20, 30 minutes left. 
we um, had some stuff to talk about on, I'm just going to do in 30 seconds, Jack Maulers, the guy who w worked on the stuff with uh, El Salvador. He's launched this thing or announced this thing called Bitcoin Tab, where essentially you'll be able to buy Bitcoin with zero fees. Coinbase and Gemini, et cetera, take about 3%. These guys will be doing it somehow for free, which is free uh, Volcanoes, yeah. Uh, and then the last thing uh, I think it's worth mentioning is Coinbase announced a 4% savings account. And the only reason that sounds kind of boring, but the reason that's interesting is it's kind of an off-ramp or a tiny bit of dipping your toes into what the crazy world of DeFi and earning yield on your coins. And I think this is actually quite a big deal because if you can, if you can convince hundreds of millions of people that instead of just holding dollars in your bank account, you can hold it in Coinbase and just earn 4%. I think most people would do that if they feel like it's safe. Is so it, um, is that is that Bitcoin or they're doing that for stable coins? It's for USDC specifically, oh, so okay. for stable coins. Yeah, so, so there'll be any any banking instrument in the world essentially. Basically, yeah, uh, and I think the interesting thing here is it's not just your US dollars. Like there are other players like Nexo in the UK or in Europe where you can deposit GBP or like pounds or dollars and earn, I think it's like eight to 10% even, uh, or six to 10% with bonuses. So like there are better deals out there, right? Like not investment advice, but there's all sorts <laughs> of uh, risk levels. Actually back the bankless guys, I just read an email just before this. They did a report recently on the yield you can earn from all these different places and it goes from three percent to thirty percent and it depends on how crazy you want to get right but like for most people if you've got ten thousand dollars sitting in your chase account and you can earn four percent on that in a coinbase account if it was secured or whatever i think that's a great step for the space so let's move on from that and let's get on to some of trunk stuff we've got a fun fact fan right. let's do it man Let let's give the full story. background all right so the, the the background of this is that my I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, but my parents look at Twitter. They only see my Twitter feed. Like that's their entire. they they believe that Twitter is my Twitter feed. <laughs> like it's the one. Like you know how we talked about how many daily active users there are through a million. They're like, wow, this program's amazing. It has one daily active user. So whatever's on there, they, they see. Uh, they've been like, yo, where's the Viet content at? Where's the Vietnamese content? So I'm like, you know what? All right, I've heard enough. I'm gonna drop a story. And uh, I mean, it just so happened to be, it's an amazing business story, right? The founder of Sriracha Hot Sauce. Um, it gets controversial because Sriracha is actually a generic name. It's like saying the founder of ketchup, right? Heinz is really the name. So the equivalent of Heinz here is Hui Fong. So I'll just talk through his story quickly and we can, we can start doing the jokes. Uh, he's a, a Vietnamese refugee to America. Uh, was formerly a general in the South Vietnamese army. So he's against the communists. So in 1978, uh, the communists actually, a Vietnamese communists got rid of uh, a lot of the Chinese Vietnamese that were in the country. So he's Chinese Vietnamese, there's tons of them because Vietnam borders China, long history. And uh, uh, China and Vietnam actually had the last land war that China's ever had is in 1979. So there's a lot of beef between the two countries. Yeah, there we go. So you can scroll down and... Uh, Let's go to the next one. We'll just talk super quickly. But sriracha was invented in the 1930s. There's there's only six ingredients. It's a, a chili pepper, distilled vinegar, garlic, sugar, and salt. It's delicious. I'm sure you've all had it. Uh, so this was invented in the 1930s. It's kind of spread around the world. He made his own version in Vietnam. When he moved to America, uh, and he came over on a boat, actually, a Taiwanese boat called the Huey Fong, that gave the name for his company, the Hui Fong Food Inc., so he arrives in, in America, he actually arrived in Boston, but uh, over a phone call with his uh, brother, uh, he found out that there was no sriracha in Los Angeles. So, and they sold uh, uh, jalapeno peppers in California. That's where they farmed them. He's like, I'm coming to California. So he goes to California and this dude literally starts making sriracha, uh, bringing the flavors of Southeast Asia to California, because there's a lot of Asians, obviously, in California, and starts selling it from his trunk. I mean, you guys are hustlers. You love this guy's story. He's filling this sauce into, like, recycled baby jars. And, Jack, you'll know this from all the charts you made. First month, he made $2,300. How does that feel for a startup? What, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Incredible. Well, what year is this? 1980. 
He's probably doing all right, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, like even in 2021, man, you got to say yeah. respect. He's a, two he's grand a refugee. Yeah. Jack, you, like you trunk. said, man, make $1 with hot sauce. That's paraphrasing Jack Butcher right Mate, there. how many people, if you can find one person that likes hot sauce, this is going back to our Alex Cohen. You can find <laughs> yeah. one customer, you got a million, a million dollar business. Dollars. If you, you find That's one it. customer. So amazing. The, 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 there's a, the logo is so amazing. It's a, it's a rooster. Um, that's the year he was born, 1945, the year of the rooster. Uh, it, it has five languages on the squeeze bottle. It's outrageous. It's like you see it has Vietnamese, Taiwanese, Mandarin, so English, good. and Spanish on the back. He's just like, you know what? I'm going to make it universal. Uh, so iconic, this bottle. Yeah, so it? iconic, Incredible. right? The funny thing about it is it's a Taiwanese sauce made by a Chinese Vietnamese immigrant that was shuttled over to America on a Chinese Vietnamese immigrant on a Taiwanese boat in America using American peppers. Right. And uh, what's funny is that that's the backstory. And there's a lot of cultural backlash against them. Cause they're like, you appropriated Thai sauce. I'm like, bro, this is not, this is not the guy you try to cancel. Yeah, right? He's not the guy, man. He's yeah. been doing some good work for yeah, the so community. Just to get, keep going bigger and bigger. Uh, the business, uh, it, it's clearly a hit. The sauce is so fire. Right. And, um, uh, they, they now have a factory in Irwindale, California. But uh, the amazing thing is to build from the 2,300 a month in 1980 to today, they're doing about 150 million plus, And they have a 65,000 square foot factory in Irwindale, California. Uh, it happened with no sales team. They've kept the exact same distributors since the 1980s. He hasn't changed the wholesale price. It's exactly the same. That's mental. Dude, because his whole tell him about inflation, man. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So his motto is, uh, is a, a rich man's sauce out of poor man's price, like from the beginning. Respect. And no ads. Uh, so Alexis Ohanian actually retweeted my thread, uh, founder, co-founder, writer. He's like, we actually approached, he had a story. He's like, we approached uh, uh hui fong to do ads and they're like we don't we don't need ads. don't believe in ads <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like thank you we appreciate that you came to us but we don't believe in advertising so you know a really cool product it's just an amazing product uh and it goes on anything really does it? it's like it you can put on, it on eggs you can put it on chicken tikka masala anything, or give really. a little spice like well, dude, so his secret that. sauce i mean the secret sauce for him was uh the freshness of the ingredients right so california has jalapeno peppers and uh People don't know this. This is a fun fact for me. You might know this, but a green jalapeno pepper and a red jalapeno pepper, they're the same thing. Green is just not ripe. Red is the ripe. So he wants his sauce to be red. So there's a small window where it's going from green to red. And once it's ripe, you need to harvest that shit, right? So he gets it to red, which is where the color comes from. And some years, they'll make an entire uh, year supply of sriracha in 10 weeks, just because that's when the harvest is. And they had one they had one farm that they worked for, for with for 28 years, I think called Underwood Ranches. That relationship broke apart. So Underwood actually sells its own sriracha now. <laughs> it ain't the same, brother. Uh, it ain't the same. So uh, I'll, I'll tap it off with a couple of things. Uh, the factories run 16 hours a day. Uh, they do 100 million pounds of chili a year. Uh, when they moved to Irondale, California, uh, the city actually sued them saying that the peppers were causing... Uh, residents to have teary eyes and uh, and cry like and uh when i posted that people were actually replying it's like that's actually not what happened it's like it was total california nimby like not in my backyard bullshit it's like but what happened was sriracha just started telling people they're shutting down all the city all these other neighboring municipalities are like you know what we'll take you <laughs> so so Irwindale's like just cracked right it's the and, old school uh, elon musk move man it's exactly, the, right? the tweet <laughs> uh so then uh the last the last two things i add is uh sriracha he never trademarked it uh because it's too generic of a term actually this is why you'll see like heinz has its own sriracha tabasca has its own sriracha but uh when they asked him about competitor, he's like, I don't care. Like, I can't fill that demand. Like, let them all come. It doesn't matter to me. There and is then, no second. There is no <laughs> second. Exactly. And then when uh, when people like Taco Bell or Doritos, like, put sriracha on their products, he's like, I don't give a shit. It's free advertising, right? Like, just love this guy's, like, mentality. He's like, I, I make the dopest shit. Like, I don't care. Like, come at me, bro. And then uh, the, la the th last thing we ran was the numbers. Uh, so Chihuahua Hot Sauce sold for 800 million last November. This is the Mexican hot sauce brand. And they did that on 92 millions of sales. So that's nine times revenue. You throw that on Hui Fong, it's a billion dollar business, baby. 
He owns 100% of it, 100%. And he says he'll never sell. I mean, his kids might, but eight of his family members work at the company that's going to his kids. And uh, yeah, dude, he goes, my American dream was never to become a billionaire. We started this because I wanted fresh chili sauce. Just what a legend. So there it is, boys. I love story. it, man. And I'm just, let's finish off with this, man, because uh, hopefully your parents are watching this. Can you, can you guys see my screen? Yeah. Yeah. So this yeah, was, this I, a t- you want to read this out for people who are yeah. only listening? This is yeah, a text so from your sister, sister, right? Yeah. My sister texts me and she goes, yo, you want to laugh? I'm like, what's up? It's like, mom and dad said you need more Viet content. And I go, wait, what are you talking about? She goes, your Twitter. They see it needs more Viet content. <laughs> and then sure enough i delivered i'll tell you what's funny on this one is uh this last image he pulled the uh, the tweet number 14 oh uh, yeah one second let me pull it uh, pull up so, jamie yeah pull it up jamie tweet number 14 is uh <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm jamie i take offense to that <laughs> uh, let's go share uh okay this one yeah yeah tweet number 14 is uh he has a shirt that says i put sriracha on my sriracha oh that's so and, uh, good well actually click on the quote retweets there. yeah i saw this was this uh, the shopify dude yeah, put yeah this scroll out? down uh, you might you might be familiar with his name it's uh it's toby lutke <laughs> like a boss wait let's see yeah. this so again people who are just up, listening man. we're toby looking Lutke's for a, a tree shopify he uh, retweets this and he goes oh it's not serious no you went past it you went past it was there yeah, hilarious. He goes, which Shopify shop is selling this t-shirt? <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, I don't see Anyways, it right now. Don't it anyway, but you got the point. I did see that. Um, anyway, that's a great breakdown, man. What, what a fucking great story, uh, transparent. So, one effing great story for... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you guys can swear, man. I, I'm not allowed to swear. The, the nah, you swore I, a few times, mate. So oh, yeah. Got I got one in the tip, tip jar. The only thing I'd add on that story is uh, somebody asked, uh, can you drink sriracha? So according to the internet, uh, <laughs> according to the internet, you can drink sriracha. However, Refinery29 says two uh, squirts, uh, two tablespoons of sriracha, that's 17% of the daily recommended sodium. Nice. So if you're drinking the sriracha, I mean, you're, you're probably going to have some blood pressure problem. We used to do Tabasco shots at uni. I don't know if this is just in my uni, but no, it was a... Uh, I would hit those nicely. I don't. I, I don't oh, think yeah. I could do it with sriracha, but Tabasco, I can do that pretty easily. It's, it's quite delicious, actually. But obviously, nothing like sriracha. There's also um, quite a key question: is like, is it the best hot sauce? Though, let's be honest. Uh, I'll be honest. I mean, it is. It is. I. I, I actually prefer their. Uh, they have three products. I think three. The other one is more of a chili type of paste. That one bangs. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at but Bilal is just like he's nodding, man. When Bilal is but Bilal here's chili and garlic, he's just like. You just, well, when you <laughs> said like the paste, I'm like, oh, you're oh, you're dude. a real G. You know yeah, what you're dude, doing, the, hey, dude. I, here's the thing: I don't mess around. Like I'm not the the I love sauce, but like paste is what gets me excited. You give me that shrimp paste, and I'm gonna do some damage with it, man. <laughs> I was going to share, I mean, anyway, yeah, this could be a whole hour discussion on the best um, hot sauce. Yeah, but you we'll know what, let's add that. Let's, let's, let's jump <laughs> off that because I know that we're running tight here, which is all my fault anyways. But, well, uh, I was going to say, because I'm, I'm brown, so like we have, everything's hot sauce, right? Because it's, <laughs> all of our food is true. hot sauce, basically. Well, let's, have, let's ask Butcher, what's your favorite hot sauce? You're in Tennessee, brother. Mate, I, Sriracha's, I've got a place in my heart for Sriracha. Uh, the... What did you call it? You call it Chihuahua. I think it's called Cholula, isn't it? It's true. Cholula, Cholula, you're right. Yeah, 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 you're right. That's yeah, pretty I legit like, too. I like that. Yeah, um, that's the job. But yeah, boys, my uh, my top end is is probably a bit lower than yours, so that's about as far as I take it. <laughs> like, you know, you're well, not quick, Jack. The key question is: when you have Nando's, what level oh, do you mate. eat? Are you going Nando's? Peri, peri? Medium, medium. <laughs> Medium, solid. All right. That's all right. You can hang with the big boys. All right. As long as you're not hitting the lemon and what is it? Lemon and lemon herb. And herb. Yeah. Well, I think that's a cheat. You do the lemon and herb and then you throw the extra hot on the side on and the then side. you just uh, mix yeah, it up. Well, I've been known to dabble with the hot, but I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go hot or extra You feel hot, it man. the next day. Bro, well, if you're, going to, if you're going to Nando's and ordering the lemon and herb, man, just, just go home. Yeah. Yeah, just, get, just, just go just boil go some chicken ra- breast. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, if you guys, for any brown listeners... Oh, um, no doubt. You guys know this? This is the most legit. Uh, a the char. Do you, guys, do you guys know what it is? I've yeah, heard this, about that. This is not really hot sauce, but it's... Um, I mean, this is like it's the OG, like, 
I would wake up on the weekend, my mum would make aloo parata, which is like this, you know, like, it's like a roti, but like with butter in it. And then it's got aloo, which is potato. And you hit this mango jar on the side. And it's, you can't, you can't buy that, man. Like that is, you can't buy that in a That's restaurant. Stuff, so right. the best. Um, all right, boys, we're going to have to wrap up soon. But uh, anything else? Were there any other stupid questions people asked in that thread? Yeah, I, I won't have, I won't have time to dig into them, man. This, uh, I think, uh, well, again, this is anybody that's upset about we, we, we're cutting this short because I, again, forgot it was Canada Day. And, no, uh, no, no, you got to go, man. We hit the hour. So, yeah, this has been a great way to wrap it up. Um, In comments and, next week. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, boys. Well, thanks for joining us again. And uh, if you're liking this, let us know on Twitter, as always. Uh, and just do us a favor because there's a lot of you who are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but don't press subscribe. So just even if even if you're not listening to every episode, just hit subscribe. It helps us out. That's your way you can help us. And if it you're drives the algo, man, it, it helps the algo. And if you're on YouTube, uh, for all twelve of you on there, <laughs> could you do us a favor <laughs> and smash the like button and press subscribe as well? That will help us out. And uh, we'll see you again next week for another episode. Amazing. That's perfect, guys.